Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Join me use the message this morning, Doing God's Will. Beginning at the very first verse. I had it listed in the bulletin beginning at verse 4, but I'm going to back up to verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, ever or even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offerings thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the books it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, and I, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. Let us unite together in prayer. Our Father, we're thankful for this time that we can come to share as your children your word. Lift us up this morning and fill our hearts with all the goodness that can come only from thee. If there is any unsaved people in our midst this morning, may the power of your spirit prick their hearts so deeply that they would yield their lives unto thee. For those of us, Lord, who know you and serve you, if there are things in our lives contrary to your will, convict us of those things this morning that we might repent, that we would be more as you would have us be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before you close your Bible, in case you might do that, if you've already done so, open it back up to chapter 40, Psalm 40, for just a moment. I want to call your attention in the beginning of the message to a few of the statements before I really get into the meat of the message that I want to preach. In the second verse, the psalmist 
makes the statement that God has brought him out of a horrible pit, out of miry clay. And I think most of us can relate to times in our lives when he has done that very thing for us, when we have been utterly down in despair, and some way the Lord has brought us up. But we need to think of the psalmist as being very, very low, being down, and being brought up. And then in verse 3, indicates the fact that he is brought out of this uh, miry clay when he says that he's put a new song in my mouth. A new song. He begins to sing. And verse 4, Blessed is that man that makes the Lord his trust. In other words, the man who puts, or woman, who puts his or her trust in God will be blessed. And verse 5, he says that there are so many wonderful works that the Lord has done that he cannot even begin to reckon what they are. And verse 6, he points out that God does not desire sacrifice and offerings of this nature. He doesn't desire those. He says that he has opened his ears so that he understands that God does not require burnt offerings. And verse 8 is where the text comes from when he says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. And I think we will emphasize throughout the message the word delight. Maybe we ought to begin by asking ourselves the question, do we in fact really delight in serving God? Do we find pleasure in it? Is it uh, joyful? Do we uh, really look eagerly to that point in our life when we're going to do something for God? Now, with that as background, and we see the psalmist as a person who has suffered and has graciously been brought out of this suffering, and we see that he is glad. He makes a startling statement in verse 8 when his emphasis is upon the word doing or do. He does not say that he delights in uh, flowery words or in some kind of a hypnotic service in which our souls are lifted high and we are glad and that is good when we have those times. But he says, my delight my joy comes from what I do for the Lord. What I do. Sometimes we make a tremendous mistake in stating our theology. 
That is, we spend so much time emphasizing that one must believe to be saved that we forsake the fact that if we believe, we will do. That is, that our faith is only real if it can be demonstrated in what is happening in our lives. We can say all kinds of things, but unless that is revealed in the way we live and what we do and how we really serve the Lord, we have not convinced anyone, let alone God, that we really believe. The church has fallen into a trap, I think, oftentimes in thinking that we are somewhat an ivory tower society. That we bring ourselves out of the world and gather ourselves together in a congregation like this where we can encourage and support each other and that's all good without relating this experience to where we live this afternoon and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday without relating it to the people that we deal with throughout the week, without realizing that our faith is only as good as it is demonstrated in our daily life outside the walls of this church. Most of us probably live fairly sheltered lives. We really don't know what's going on out of the world. Do you have any idea of what happened last night in our community? I don't. And it's shocking when we discover some of the things that are reported or will are in the paper this morning that I haven't even looked at. of things that happened last night that we're completely immune to. There are people out there with murder on their minds, and perhaps did it, with all kinds of immorality, of breaking and enterings and all of the despicable things that we might begin to imagine were taking place. And the church must impact upon that style of life if it's to have meaning, if our faith means anything, if what we believe is, is to be believed, it's what we do in the trenches and how we impact upon the problems of the community and of society that makes us worth much. What have we done about the problem of abortion? What have we done about the impact of immorality on the lifestyle of our kids in school? How have we solved the problems of family deterioration we all know that it is happening. How have we made less lonely those who are lonely? How have we in fact really brought Christ to the world and introduced the unsaved to Jesus Christ 
outside the walls of this building. And there's where it really all takes place. How well we succeed in making this kind of impact upon our world is going to be directly related to how well we delight in doing the will of the Lord. Well, what is God's will? I want you to listen to this now. I want to make three statements about God's will. There is a will of purpose God has. There is a will of desire. And there is a will of command. say now, let's remember that we delight, we say we delight in doing God's will. And that's what the psalmist said, I delight to do thy will. What did, what did he mean? Well, first of all, God has a will of purpose, which means that there is a plan that God has that he has set down, and nobody, no force, no individual, nobody of people not even the devil himself will deter nor prevent God's will from being achieved. Now hear me out on this. Daniel 4.35 says, He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. If God's will of purpose is stated, it will be accomplished in heaven and it will be accomplished on earth. Ephesians 1.11, and I'm reading only a portion of the verse, says, Being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. What did he say? We are predetermined to fit into the purpose that God has for this world. When Jesus prayed, gave us the model prayer, he said, pray that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What am I saying? Simply this, that when God establishes his purpose, it will be achieved. For example, I give these only as fleeting examples. God has said that sin will be paid for by death. There is no alternative. The wages of sin is death. We must not escape that fact. And yet there are many people who want to say, oh, that's foolishness. But the wages of sin is death. That is God's purpose. There will be a judgment. All men will stand before God in judgment. Every person, man, woman, and child, will stand before God. That is his will of purpose, and it will not be altered. The church will be raptured. 
The day is coming when the church will be taken out of this world. That is God's purpose. There will be a reign of a thousand years when Jesus rules this world from Jerusalem. That's God's purpose and there will be no alternative to it. There will be a tribulation. There is a heaven and there is a hell. The righteous go to heaven. The condemned go to hell. There is no alternative. That's God's will of purpose. Secondly, there is his will of desire. Now, I want you to notice the difference between the two. When God made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he gave them a will that we still exercise to this very day. The scripture says, whosoever will may be saved. If a person does not want to be saved, he will not be saved. Sometimes we erroneously pray, expecting that God, and we say it this way, God, please save somebody. My brother, my sister, my husband, my wife, my child, please save them, which is a good prayer. But we must realize that God limited himself in that he cannot, cannot, cannot save a person who wills not to be saved. If you don't want to be saved, there's nothing God can do about it. For he limited himself to give you a will and to give me a will. God gave man a will, a right of choice. It is God's desire that all be saved, but he will not make it happen against a person's will. When Jesus came around riding on the, uh, the donkey ready for the triumphal entry into Jerusalem he looked out over the city and he said oh Jerusalem Jerusalem how often would I have gathered thee as a hen, a hen doth gather her chicks under her wing but ye would not I will let you be saved he was saying but you won't be you don't want to be God is not willing that any should perish, but he gave to a person a will. And many people are saying, I will not. And therefore, they will not be saved. Because their will is supreme against God's in that case. Thirdly, there is the will of command, which gets to all of us who are Christian. There is a direction that God, a directive that he gives. It is our duty to do what God says. There are several things in the scripture that he says thou shalt not do. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. All the shalt nots. Listen. When God gives a command of his will, he expects his children to be obedient to his will. Then there are those thou shalts, a command to do something. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
a command. He expects obedience to what he tells us. That's his will of command. And failure to obey God's will of command will bring severe consequences. Now there are lots of people who, who have an, an elevated uh, belief as to their importance. And I have known people to think that if they ceased going to church, the church would close its doors. You perhaps have known people like that, but surprisingly the doors stay open. We sometimes think that God is mighty lucky to have us on his side. As if he needed us. You see, God can perform his will even with heathen people, with unsaved. And we have plenty of illustrations in scripture when that was done. When God used Babylon, God used Nero. God used uh, many people throughout history to bring about what he wanted done. We can be a part of the fulfilling of the will of God, but if we are not a part of it, let us not suppose that it's going to fail because God will seek out someone else to fulfill his will if we don't want to be a part of it. God's will will be fulfilled. But, we say, his will is mighty tough. I don't like it. Well, that is a little tough, isn't it? We know that the scripture uh, indicates that we ought to go to church every Sunday. But do you know that there are times that I get up and I don't want to go to church? I want to go fishing. Now I have a little bit different situation than you. If I don't come, I don't get paid. <laughs> you understand that relationship. But if you don't come, it's a matter of will. I don't want to. And therefore I'm not going to. And that gets us in trouble with God. I just don't feel like it this morning. I think I'll just not go. But the scripture says if God commands it, you do it out of obedience, not out of how you might feel about it. God tells us to pray. Not because we feel like praying, but because he has commanded us to pray. And we should pray because we are commanded to pray. We should attend church because we're commanded to attend church. We should give of our finances, not out of the graciousness of our heart, as much as it is the expectation of God that we support his work. The will of God is to be obeyed in spite of my feelings about it or your feelings about it. This is what God expects. We might sometimes have to do it out of simple resignation. I can remember when I was in school and 
My teacher gave me an assignment that was going to take me all weekend to do, and did I ever resent that? I hated Friday nights when the teacher said, I want this paper in Monday morning. I resisted that terribly. I thought, I'm not going to do it. But she made the point pretty clear, you'd better do it. And so I finally said, oh, I might just as well get it done because she's going to stay on me till I do it. Any of you teachers ever take that attitude or have some kids who respond to you that way? Sure. What do they do? They do it in a matter of resignation. I might as well obey. I've obeyed my mother and dad many times that way. I might as well do it because if I don't, I'm never going to hear the last of it. She's going to stay right after me until I get it done. Listen, God is going to stay after us until we are obedient to him and delight in doing what he wants us to do. And if we have to resign ourselves to be obedient unto God, it's a whole lot better to do it in resignation than to do it with the whip of God upon our back because we're disobedient. God does not forgive us for our disobedience until we bring ourselves to a point of being obedient. And after it's all over, we can say, boy, I'm glad I did it. I have said it, and you have heard it, and you probably have said it. I didn't want to go to church today, but boy, am I glad I went. I did not want to go visit so-and-so, but I am on cloud nine now that I did it. I wasn't in the mood for prayer, but I resigned myself to do it. And I started out in a terrible state of prayer, but when it was over, I had been lifted up and I was on cloud nine. God had blessed me because I was obedient. We should obey God because it's our duty to obey him without regard to our feelings about it. And out of that will come an attitude, if I can uh, use the word, an attitude of gratitude. There's an old camp song that we used to sing when I was a kid in camp, and it's been sung in Bible school lots of times. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder, soldiers of the cross. Every round grows higher and higher. Every round grows, grows higher and higher. Listen, that's true. I don't know what rung of the ladder you might be on in your Christian life now, but the next round up is a closer round to God himself. And every round gets higher and higher. And one of the verses in that song says, If you love him, why not serve him? If you love him, why not serve him, soldiers of the cross? And I think that's the message that we need to see in this psalmist today. We will delight in serving the Lord when we are obedient to his will. The psalmist said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Let me turn it around and say it another way. To do thy will, O my God, is my delight. Do you delight in doing God's will this morning?
Is it really pleasurable? If it's not, it's because the rung you're on is too low. You need to get on a higher rung. And you will do that by being obedient in spite of your own will. Yield your will. May I yield my will to the will of the Lord. And out of it, he will bring us out of that horrible pit, that miry clay that the psalmist talked about, and set our feet on a rock. Do you delight in doing the Lord's will? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.